Guess what, man? What's going on? Today's podcast, the Channel 10 podcast that you're listening to right now, is brought to you by Audible.com, where you can get a free audio book download and a 30-day free trial if you go to audibletrial.com slash channel 10. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial, T-R-I-A-L.com slash the word channel, the number 10. And you go Mm. there, you have over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, your MP3 player, however you listen to music, however you listen to this podcast, you can listen to books. Mm, that's what's up. That is what's up, especially if you don't know how to read. <laughs> exactly. Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. What up, son? You gotta just do it, yo. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up, on, man? What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Roll up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Roll up, yeah. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Now that we got that out of the way. Uh, how you been, man? I've been alright, you know. Just living an Oklahoma life, I guess. <laughs> Whatever that uh, means. <laughs> man, uh, I guess it's uh, very different from a Baltimore life. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it, it was slow pace, really slow to begin with, pace wise, and, uh, since it's summer, you know, everyone's gone. It's really slow. Man. You know, it's it's heating up here right now. You know, they say um, if our population was the size of Chicago's, if you extrapolate our murder rate, we would be at like 192 per month. And Chicago hey. has 500 in a year. <laughs> Damn, well, you know, I always told my mother that um, I told her that when the uh, the murder rate got kind of crazy after the uh, the riots calmed down, I told her that it's kind of, I mean, if you think about it, it's really just making up for lost time. Mm. I know it's a very cynical way to think of it, but, I mean, you gotta, I mean, it's a pa- certain pattern <laughs> that has to be followed in Baltimore. Yeah, they're going to follow it to the end, man. Yeah, you know, the Druids put that curse, you know. The curse of the Druids, Druid Hill Park. Yeah. It's going down, man. Um, I guess with it being slow out there, uh, have you uh, experienced any uh, any racism recently? Uh, um, no, you know, outside of, like, the, that whole shank ordeal, um, no, you know, just the, the usual, just getting um, some odd looks. Um, that's pretty much it, just some odd looks when I go to the market. That's it. <laughs> it's regular, regular stuff. Yeah, it's regular stuff. What about you? Um, 
guess to make a long story short, um, I got confused for another black person <laughs> because, you know, we all look the same. Right. And, oh, I mean, me and this other black person, we do both have a bald head. We do both have, you know, fairly uh, pronounced beards. But this other black dude, he's darker than me. He has dye in his beard. And he has nasty razor bumps on the back of his head because he doesn't use a bevel. So how right. could you get us confused? Uh, I mean, do y'all sound alike? No, no, we are not alike in any any way, shape, or form. Okay. I mean, he has his blonde dye in his beard. Oh, uh, where is this like this blonde dye type shit when it comes to beard or just uh, dye in your beard? Period. Where is this coming from? Um, I guess. Creativity, maybe. I mean, I think a lot of it, you know, some of it might be like the flamboyantness of, you know, homosexual community members sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like that, beards. Um, but, you know, the only discoloration in my beard is due to aging because I got a couple grays in there some of that knowledge and wisdom and understanding and overstanding and understanding you feel me right right (laughs) 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 but um but yeah today man I just wanted to talk about um you know and we were talking about this off air uh I guess just just the life being an artist, you know, like, it's just something I've really been thinking and reflecting on recently, and, you know, just watching you go through your process of, you know, getting your project together and everything, it just made me think about just the whole scope of everything, from the trials and tribulations to, you know, just how amazing it is when you just sit back and think, like, I'm creating something from a blank uh, canvas or, like, a blank whatever it is that you're using. Like, you're making something out of nothing with your mind. And people, like, most people don't do that. And then if they do do that, they don't put it out there and see what happens with it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I was just thinking about how, like, you know, from, you know, going through the day-to-day life of school and work and, you know, how much, you know, that gets, you know, the, the, I, I would assume the majority of people down a lot of times just to be able to come back and, you know, make something. And it's, sometimes it's like you're living a double life because it's almost like you're a superhero because you can just make something and put it out there however you put it out there. And, you know, other people might see it and they are kind of in awe, like, damn, like, how did you do that? And then, you know, some of the, I was thinking about some of the experiences that we've had just based on, you know, creating art or being involved with people creating art and just, 
you know, just the wealth of uh, experiences and times that we've had just just based off of that, that, you know, you don't get just being quote-unquote regular and just, mm-hmm. you know, living your day-to-day, like, just all yeah. the things that have happened, that, you know, just like last week when we were talking about, like, our hip-hop stories or whatever, and, like, how that shit doesn't happen for most people. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I will say that when it comes to, I guess, leading, lead, uh, living this type of double life, you know, you're, you know, you're just being, you're always being creative every day when it comes to trying to figure out how you should act, you know, when it comes to, I don't know, some type of weird social situation or a curb your enthusiasm moment, how you should react to it, and you got to do it, real, like, really fast or, you know, I guess being um, where I'm at right now and, you know, have, having the right papers, you know, every every five minutes or just, like, these, these long projects that take three to four months um, to finally finish. and. You know, like I was thinking about it. You know, like I, uh, I think I've, I think I wrote a total of seventy pages this past semester. Sheesh. And just thinking, you know, like the, the every every day, you know, like the process of just writing and writing and writing, and um, how much that takes out of you. You know, when 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 you're trying to, I guess. Um, switch that all that stuff over and, and put that that same type of energy into a music project, especially when it's a project where you're doing the production and the writing, and then you got to record yourself. Mm. Which um, I think takes just it takes the uh, the same amount of energy, I, I would say, if not a bit more, because um, at least you know with uh with the papers you do have like a certain um. You know, there's a certain criteria, a certain type of, um, you know, I guess a, a rubric, um, for lack of a better word, that you have to follow. You know? Yeah, it's like sometimes when it comes to this, you know, when you're making your music, it's kind of just like you on your own. You know, you don't have... I mean, you might have, you know, inspiration and stuff like that, but you don't have somebody over you telling you what to do and how to do it. And it becomes all on you at that point. Like, um, when you're making something, and I guess that type of feeling, like how you said your rubric actually comes after you create it and present it to people and then you get the response. And, yeah. You know, I guess there's, it's like especially starting off, there's the anxiety that comes with that. And then I guess, you know, how you were saying, you know, doing the papers and everything, it can take a lot out of you and it's the same amount of energy. Like just the energy of putting something out there that's all you and then having to deal with the um the response to it, you know, it can it can it can be a lot sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it can. Um you know, especially I guess if you're like a 
if you're like a really slow um, person when it comes to like the whole process of creating one song, like how how I am, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, we'll, like with my project right now, you know, like it took for, for the for the entire concept for, for me to follow. So I guess in a way, I did kind of put like put together a rubric for myself to kind of follow. That alone took me about a good year and some change to like even think of like a a full concept and it's still kind of, you know, changing and I guess uh, molding into something that I that I really wanted to be. Are um, you um are you are you satisfied with it? Um, you mean with the the project overall, just or just like the concept that I'm following? Um, I'll say the project overall but um how you envisioned it to be. Um, yeah, with the the project overall, yeah, so far um, I'm pretty satisfied with it. I just got to get some better mixing, but, um, yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I'm kind of like, I think right now I'm kind of, I'm kind of second guessing myself when it comes like to, to the earlier, um, the earlier material. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that it's not, I guess not the same quality, but. I kind of feel as though I was in a maybe I was in a different place at that time, but you know these are how different albums. You know that's how they get made sometimes. You know like how RZA his last, you know his Diddy Snacks album, how he did had one part of it sober and another part of it high. <laughs> so I'm kind of thinking about that when it came to me and second guessing myself. But um, so far, yeah, I think I'm pretty I'm pretty satisfied with it. And one thing to always remember is that, you know, even though you may have been in a different place when you record different songs, when people listen to it, they're in the same place, you know, Mm. so they can tell, you know, you know, they might be able to tell that you're in a different place, but at the same time, they, they experience it at a, like in a whole, pretty much at one time, whereas you experience it as a whole throughout, you know, part of a lifetime. So it's like, it's kind of hard to step back and see it as somebody else sees it. You just kind of have to finish it and and put it out there for people to, to kind of take it in. And, you know, I guess uh, interpret it how they interpret it. Yeah, that's what... Yeah, I remember you telling me that like a while ago. Um... And I don't know, I feel like if I don't if I don't finish this, I guess, by, like, the, maybe by, like, I don't know, like, the, uh, the summer, mm-hmm. then I'll probably start feeling like, feeling like a burden because it's been, this has been going on for close to three years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just ready to see it finished. And I think that, you know, it's the same thing when it comes to, like, doing, like, a big 30-page paper. You know, at the end of the semester, you know, you, you struggle through it. But somehow, they, somehow, somewhere you put it together, put it, put it together, you know, in three months, and you feel pretty happy with, you know, the uh, the final product. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like from the um, outside looking in, it seems like you're having fun with it, though. Um. Yeah. You, you know. I. Um. I. I must say that. Um. Just being able to, although I guess it's a, it's it's kind of bittersweet, just being able to have the time right now. Just really sit around and, you know, it's my choice whether or not I, if I want to, like, sit around and just do music all day. Mm. It, um, 
you know, I think compared to maybe like the past, you know, two, three weeks to a month, um, or the past month, I've, yeah, I think I'm pretty, I'm a bit happier than what I was, I think. Um, just being, being able to sit around and do this and, you know, see, um, what's, uh, what's coming out of everything that I'm doing. Like, you know, yesterday I, uh, I was in the house all day just working on, uh, what I sent you. Yeah. Yeah, so I felt pretty, pretty happy about that. Yeah, and then when you, like, even when it comes down to, like, how you did the artwork and everything, and then you were able to get it printed out, and then you have a physical copy of it, like, something that came out of your mind, and that was in your hands, you know, like, I know that, that must have been a dope moment. I mean, yeah, especially, you know, since, since I've been a part of so many other projects that weren't my own, and I didn't have, like, a, you know, I really didn't have much say in what, what went on with them, I mean, what, what, what went on them. And, you know, now, just really having something that I finally did. And as you know, I've been wanting to do a project of my own. But, but you know, I guess I guess in this fashion for, you know, how old am I now? How old am I? Maybe, what, seven years. <laughs> so, yeah, so it took, it took a really long time to get to this point. So, yeah, it was kind of, kind of nice. Even though, I mean, it's something really simple. You just get a, a fucking jewel case and you just throw something in there. But... Yeah. Yeah. I like, can. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's like you can finally, like, see it coming to completion. Yeah. Like, you um, you birthed it out of your mind, and here it is, like, you're holding, like, a newborn baby. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but I think, uh, you know, sending it, to, like, sending this stuff to, like, you know, labels is a whole nother, whole nother ball game, though. Um, so far, I've sent it to I think uh, I think two labels, and I don't know what it is. Like whenever I'm like I'm about to send, send like a hit send, or whether it's digi- uh, digitally or physically, just you know, handing over the package, <laughs> you get kind of I get kind of you know like a little anxious inside. Now what what are you anxious about? You know, I think I'm anxious. I mean, I think, you know, I I always I try to envision, like, the package or, or I guess, the email being sent to the person. And then, like, when they see it, what do they do? Do they, like, say they'll go back to it later? Do they just ignore it altogether? Which they probably do nine times out of ten. Or, you know, like, like what do they do with it? And so I think that, me, I guess, my anxiety when it comes to sending, uh, sending these things off, I think it really just comes from me overthinking the situation and trying to, I guess, unconsciously control what happens in a way. Yeah, I think I think the more you do it and the more you get used to it, that anxiety kind of goes away because, like, you know, when I used to send out songs all the time, at first it was an anxious thing, but as it started to happen and and then I started to get, you know, a good response and different, you know, outlets started, you know, posting up my music and things started to come from it. It's like it becomes kind of a game after a while and you, like, kind of stop thinking about it in terms of what is this person going to do, but it's like, you know, what what is going to happen what little things can I tweak to make different things happen? And, um, you know, 
I guess just learning about the process of actually putting music out and making something happen from it um, kind of becomes part of, you know, the art itself. Like, you know, you make the beat, you write the lyrics, you record it a certain way, you mix it a certain way, you even name the file a certain way, you 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 craft the email particularly a certain way just to send it out to like maybe a blog or something like that in my case and you know they may choose to pick it up they may not then if they pick it up if it gets any comments or anything like that you kind of see what all those certain ways the culmination of it what it ends in and then that gives you you know, things to think about for the next time. And it becomes less of an anxious thing. It's more of a, okay, I know now, like, what's going to happen, what the probabilities of different things are based on different things that I've already done, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's like a science to it. Yeah, I can um, I can totally see that. I mean, I will say that um, when I did send things out to certain blogs, uh, a while ago, it was, um, I was pretty anxious, but I was, I wasn't as anxious as I was over time. You know, like, you know, especially when, um, after a while, there was like, you know, certain blogs that I just had, I guess, a relationship with, and they just picked it up whenever they saw it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's something about, I guess, like, it's something about demo, because, you know, these people, just like blogs are, you know, they're really busy, and I guess it's it's, it's really like a, a different realm, you know, because I guess there's a difference between someone like putting like putting your music up just on their website, you know, between uh, someone doing that and then someone like actually trying to put money behind this project that you're trying to sell to them. Right, right, like making a commercial project or a uh, product. Yeah. So that's um I think that's like where a lot of my a lot of my anxiety is coming from. I guess um I guess to to not be as vague or whatever um I guess tell the people a little bit about you know what you're doing. All right. Um. So um I've been working on this album for about going on maybe maybe three years now and. My thing is, I was going to go, I guess, like a total independent route and just do it myself when it came, when it comes to promotion and, you know, just really playing the, for lack of a better term, the internet games, being on Twitter and so on and so forth. But me, you know, since I'm in school and I'm doing other things, I don't really have the time to really invest in doing that, nor do I want to do it since I'm not really into doing that type of stuff. Um <laughs> So, I figured that the best thing for me to do is to go to an to go go the indie route. So go to to an indie label to see if they will support me in my project. And and, and in a perfect world, um, they do everything. You know, I guess during the semester they they do the, the promo for it and whatever else they got to do. And then in the summertime when I have time off. In between school, and that's why that's when I tour, do you know other things that they, that the label wants me to do. So I think it's a win-win situation that I won't bother them every five minutes, and 
in a way to kind of tell me what to do, just as long as I have, you know, total creative control over over the music. Yeah, but then when it comes to, like, you know, promotion and stuff, they just kind of direct it and direct you on what to do, and then you just do it. Right. Pretty much. Okay. So, um, that sounds like a, you know, like, like a pretty good uh, <laughs> ambitious plan, especially, you know, for somebody who doesn't have a lot of time. I mean, yeah, but the, I think the thing is, though, if um, if I did have more time, I would, I don't know, actually, I'll probably, probably still do the same thing because I'm not, I'm not one to be on, you know, social media all the time. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely, um, like, a balance. Like, first you have to balance your life, you have to balance actually creating the music, and then, you know, the time that you have to create music, you have to balance the time of you know, actually making music and then, you know, you know, promoting the music and trying to get it out there. And it's like, you know, you can get lost in one or the other and at the end of the day the whole project can suffer, you know, when you when it's just you and you don't have that team or support. So, you know, hopefully you can get down one of these labels and they can put that you know, put that extra umph behind it and, you know, you can go out and tour and all that. That would be so dope. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and 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 that was the issue because you know I I thought about you know everything that I that I've been doing for like the, what the past four or five years, and you know I realized after a while you know like my the whole the whole music thing the the whole music thing was suffering. Um, uh, when it came to you know school and everything else, but. At the same time, I did think that you know, I, I was produ- I was putting out out you know like I was producing albums you know two albums you know each year for about four years. Mm. So I think I mean that's quite a lot. And then I took the break and everything like that, and I was trying to find like the perfect way to try to really have time for, have time for both things. And then I, I I tried at one point you know just to do both at the same time and. That just wasn't working. My grades went down, you know, in undergrad like crazy, and I just figured I'd just put it on the side until I really figured out how, how was like the best way for me to approach it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, in terms of, you know, what you were doing before with producing the albums, I mean, you know, you got to think, you've done some amazing shit to where, you know, you got your name in the paper. That's more than what most people can say. So it's like going through all of that and the process of all of that, did you, like, learn anything that you can put into what you're doing now? Um, that's a good question. Um, I would say no, um, other than just making sure that you keep relationships with, with, with certain people. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons why that happened was because of the relationship that we had with um with uh with um Al Shipley, the journalist. Yeah. Uh freelance writer for many publications including the Baltimore City Paper. Yeah. Um you know, but I I've I've tried to like figure out if I've learned anything else from that experience and I kinda didn't because in a way, I, I didn't. I didn't do much. I just kind of showed up and did the music, and that was pretty much it. And and uh, and my brother pretty much handled handled everything else. Um, I would uh, I would shrink wrap 
and I would shrink wrap it. You know, I would I would be there when we went to, to various stores and you know like to, to put the uh, the project in, but we really didn't do anything, any type of digital stuff. Actually, everything was really analog. Now, yeah, like, like in terms of um, in terms of making the music and like, I guess everything that goes into making a project on that level. Did you learn anything? Do you think? Mm, um. Well, I will say yeah. Um, I think I think from there, you know, I slowly but surely got better. Um, and I think you, I think you like doing that. It kind of like it was an avenue for me to to find my own sound. When it, like production wise now, you know, and I guess in between, you know, the projects that I did do, I did, you know, I did certain songs, like little small projects that I kind of just did, and it wasn't exactly anything serious. And then through going back and listening to like all the all that old stuff between production and like other songs that I've actually done with vocals on them, I've kind of found my own voice in a way. I think at this point. Yeah, I think I. I could... I can agree with that. Um, now, now, when it comes to because you know we talk a lot about you know balancing the uh, I guess the quote unquote real life and the you know ideal music life dream that people have. Um, if you got the opportunity for you know something big like some type of life changing thing to where. You could just do the music, um, and you know everything that you worked on and worked towards academically. Um, if you didn't have to do that anymore, what would you do? I guess in the perfect world, I would just I would try to do both because you know thinking about it, you know I've invested so much time in this academic stuff that. You know, I guess well, I guess in a way it wouldn't exactly be putting it down a drain, but I think in a way just like just dropping everything to do the music, it would be kind of hard for me to do just based on the time and effort that I put into it. But I've also I put you know I put time and effort into you know music too. You know, staying up two days like for two days straight in the studio, hopped off off of you know some 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 type of shit or whatever. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It would be really hard for me to do. I think that if I did, if I did, it would have to be some guaranteed money to the point that I'd be good for a while. If yeah. I if I live within my means, yeah. Because I guess the academic thing I can always go back to. Yeah, that's true. Do you ever feel like 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 there's a time limit on um, what you have to do musically? Uh no, I mean no because I mean it always it was always a hobby for me anyway. I never at one point I never really thought about um really making money off of it, but I just gotten to the point that you know uh a lot of the shit that I've been doing is based on certain things I don't really want to do, <laughs> and I think music is one of the best avenues to try to get away from that. Although I do know that. It's, sometimes there's, there's there's no way to escape it, but I think music would give me more freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I guess one of the biggest fears is, you know, 
putting your all into something that you think is going to be so great and then you realize that you end up in the same situation where you're kind of like a slave to it and you don't um you don't want to do half of the shit that's uh involved in it cuz you know it can definitely be a drain <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's what I don't. Um, and you know, it's funny, you know, because I was one of the I was, I was one of the uh, the subjects for that article um, way back when the Al Shippey did about various Baltimore artists, and you know, like and, like and what, and what they're doing it for. And you know, I told him that I just had, you know, I did have at least at that time I had I had other ambitions that you know that I was trying to um, accomplish and. I pretty much did it, did it already. I mean, I, I've exceeded what I what I thought I would ever do in academia at this point. So, and I think I think I, I think that that's the issue with me right now. You know, um, there's really only one other thing that I want to do, and after that, I'm pretty much I'm done. I've done everything I want to do in academia, and going deeper into it and seeing how it is, I'm not interested. Um, at least in at least in the music business, I'm I'm doing. You know, I'm not exactly tied down to um, someone else's creative process. Or at least, I don't intend to be. Now, now, how does it feel being the subject of an article, or being one of the subjects of an article? I mean, like being the subject of an, of an article that was about that was, that was specifically about artists not making it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you put it that way, but like. You know, like how you said, it's, you know, kind of a hobby for you, and, you know, you did have um, other ambitions, so I guess it's, you know, what the definition of making it is, mm. but, like, either way, you garnered enough um, attention, I guess, and enough interest and intrigue, you know, based off of what you do, that somebody wants to get your input into something and your insight into it because they're just curious about, you know, the way that you think. Um, I don't know. To me, that's something. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's flattering. I mean, it, it, it is, but... And the thing was, I mean, I guess a, a lot of the artists that he did use for that article, they were, like, some of his favorite artists anyway. Yeah. Um... So I mean, yeah, it was flattering, but then some of the artists that were, that were on there, you know, they were these were people who some of them, you know, they um they they didn't really have anything else. But they they just wanted they wanted to do the music. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I really haven't I haven't, I haven't really thought much about that article in a long time. <laughs> I mean, because like, and I guess you know. I, I don't know, sometimes, you know, you got, like, like I've had moments with um, people sometimes where, you know, you sit back and you just reflect on things and you think about how sometimes, you know, you're spoiled, <laughs> you know, mm. like some of the experiences that we've had, um, you know, people are killed for something like that. And, you know, like how you were saying, you hadn't really thought about that article or whatever, but that was probably the highlight of, you know, one of the highlights of somebody's life who was written about in there, you know. Well, see, well, yeah, but that's true, and and that's the thing. Like, that's why I try to have this balance to, to not have something like that really control, you know. Yeah. Control my emotions because, you know, like, 
I was in the midst of doing all these all these other like academic things. He hit me up. He said, "Hey, I wanted to put you in this article." I'm like, "Cool." He asked me some questions. We talked a little bit, and that was it. And I was off doing other things, and I forgot about I, that I even did it until he sent me a link to, to that article. Mm. Um, I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's flattering, you know. I mean, it was it was flattering. The article was flattering, and you know, like when I'm traveling and you know the world of the the Baltimore underground scene. And, you know, certain people will pop up out of nowhere who I haven't really talked to much like that in order to say, ask me, like, what am I doing? Yeah, so. I mean, you know, however, you know, big or small, you still, you know, made a mark and an impact on people and, you know, in, you know, in the community. And, you know, I mean, that's something to be said for all of that. And, like, I don't know, like, sometimes... You know, just me, like, when I go to work and, you know, it's like people see you one type of way and they don't know that you have all this other shit going on. So, like, maybe you reveal it to somebody else and it's like, damn, like, you do all of that. And it's like, um, I don't know, it's like sometimes you never know, I feel like, who kind of sees you, you know, as a superhero or whatever because it's like, you know, you have certain abilities to to kind of do things and put it out there and, um, I guess, not be stuck, you know, whether it's mentally or physically, not be stuck in, you know, in your reality that you're in now. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, listening to your music, that's like a whole another world. <laughs> and it's like, it's a world that you created, you know, just from your mind. And, you know... That's amazing to some people, especially, like, when you get those people that, you know, sometimes, you know, before they even hear anything or see anything or know anything about you, but the moment that you say that you're involved in music in some type of way, they automatically have this kind of, um, they automatically kind of look down at you and they kind of sneer at you or whatever. And then when you actually show them or something like that, it's like, oh, man, like, how did you do this? Like how you were telling me earlier um, about, you know, a particular situation recently. And, um, you know, um, I don't think, I don't, like, 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 I don't know. Sometimes it's like, you know, you really have to sit back and reflect and realize that, you know, not everybody gets to do that. Like, and, you know, even when you're talking about working on those, um, those projects, you know, with your brother and everything. And then, you know, just the stuff, you know, the stuff that you've, you know, come along with me on, like when we went to Philly those times and Virginia and all that other type of stuff. And that's just like, you know, just based off of the strength of, you know, what we're doing in the bedroom. <laughs> Pause. Yes. But like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's um, yeah. You know what? Like, speak of going back to what you said about um being spoiled. Um, like when I when I on uh, when I was back home for winter break, and um, my brother taught me into going to to some event, um, some Baltimore hip hop event downtown, and I really I really didn't want to go, but I decided to go. And we had to wait in line, and I was really, I was just pretty annoyed by that, because um, I think that was the first time I've ever had to wait in line for anything. Um, when it kind of when it came to the Baltimore Underground, or even like um, 
I mean, I think even like a concert. I mean, the Mob Deep concert, though, did we have to wait? I'm not sure. Um, I think we timed it just right so that we wouldn't have to wait. But the second one, we waited in line. That's what we did. But, okay, well, I could, well, I guess outside of, like, concert, like, con- like actual acts coming to Baltimore, but, like, Baltimore events, uh, nah, I've never had to wait in line. Yeah, and, like, I feel the same way, too, like, you know, I guess, you know, not being as active musically and, I guess, experiencing the world as, as you know, what we call civilians experience it, you know, people really wait in line and pay money for things. And then, you know, they're not, like, backstage, they're not meeting the artists, like, it's, like, like it's a whole other experience, and sometimes it's, like, humbling, like, okay, you know, this is what people do, but, you know, coming from my experience and the type of things that I've done, like, sometimes it's not even waiting in line, it's like, you know, it's a whole separate entrance. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, I guess that's 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 the spoiled aspect of it to where you know when you do what you do you have a certain level of uh of 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 access that the typical person doesn't i guess you know your consumer doesn't because you know we're consumers but at the same time you know we're producers you know literally and figuratively (laughs) you know we're actually producing music and stuff like that and i don't know i just i just think it's just pretty cool like when I go back through my projects and songs that I've, uh, you know, made throughout the years and I think about, like, you know, when I've performed them on stage or, you know, when I let certain people hear them and, you know, just the effect that it has on them or, you know, years later somebody might be like, oh, yeah, you know, I still listen to that song or I remember that or, you know, it can be something as simple as somebody remembering a line or, you know, a lyric or something like that. It's like, damn, like, you remember that? <laughs> like, yeah. And um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting life, <laughs> and you know it makes me you know curious to see where it's gonna um, go. Cause I mean, you know, we started from you know very humble beginnings, <laughs> just figuring all this out. Like I remember me and my man's we used to rap on the um, we used to play the beat real loud and rap on a microphone that was built into the monitor of the computer. <laughs> and that's how we would make our songs. I'm doing that right now. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure monitor, monitor, the monitor mics have gotten way better over the years, I can tell. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we would just be yelling into that mic. And that's kind of what helped me develop my voice because you have to cut through all of the uh, all of the static and everything, <laughs> hmm. like you know, just to be heard. And then you know, you make your little songs and you take them outside for people to hear. And, you know, some people, you know, you know, people, especially like when you know when you're younger and everything like that, people are like, oh man, you did that. And it's like you know, you just keep developing your skill and getting better and better and. It's just like, you know, if anything, I guess it provides somewhat of an escape. It's something to, you know, come back to. And I guess, 
you know, it's somewhat of a release sometimes, at least for me, just to come home and make a beat and, you know, come up with, like, something to it. You know, whether I let anybody hear it or not. Yeah. I mean, like, um, you know, that's why, like, I've always been into, you know, um, I guess psychedelic music and, you know, uh, the, uh, the Dr. Octagons of hip-hop because, you know, the, I guess, like, that type of dreamy production and, you know, weird lyrics, it kind of, um, it kind of, like, acts as, like, like, as, like, a form of escape for me. And the same thing with history, you know, coming up, history to me was a form of escapism. Um, you know, you're, you're getting into a book or you're reading about someone's life and, you know, it's like, I mean, you're reading about someone else's life or a certain thing that happened in, in a different time period that you have no, you don't really have much connection to. Yeah, it's like a, um, yeah, yeah, I definitely feel what you're saying, uh, uh, with that because it just reminds me of like, you know, when I, when I first went to Howard, and I'm around, like, all these different people who look like me, but they're from all these different regions, and they all have their own cultures and music and stuff like that. And it's like, all these places I've never been to, and a lot of them I still haven't been to, but I still have a feel of the area kind of a little bit based off, one, the people who I know from there and the stories, and then the music that's connected with it. So, like... You know, especially like if you go to like a um, like a Howard party, and the DJ might do a set from every major region that's in the area. So like they might start playing some Bay Area music, and people start doing like the Bay Area dances and crumping and all that. And it's like, damn, that's what they doing out there. That's not what we doing here. And you know, it's definitely like it definitely takes you to another place. Mm -hmm. You know. You know, while still being, you know, where you are and everything like that. I mean, yeah, you know, as I've um, as I've gotten older, you know, I've been able to. I, I think because of like having that type of mindset, I've been able to 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 um, pretty much accept every form of music. I think mm. as long as I mean, as long as it's. Not saying that I listen to it, but, you know, I say, oh, that's what's up. They doing that. Like, you know, like, all, everything that's going on in Chicago right now. And um, I guess trap music and the way it, it's evolved and um, EDM to a certain extent, you know. Yeah, it's like even though, even though you're not, like, like even if you're not, like, rocking to the joint, you know, for that three minutes or whatever, you can still be taken into a different world. And it's like and explore it a little bit and, you know, figure out whether you like, <laughs> uh, like it or not. But either way, you know, you're still escaping to that to that place. And um, I guess it's interesting because, you know, as, as, as I guess, music heads, you know, we, we kind of go deep into it and, you know, we look for things and seek things out. Versus, like, um, you know, a lot of music is kind of um, kind of force-fed to people, you know, through the major media, like, uh, you know, the radio or whatever. And it's kind of, like, you know, watered down and saturated or whatever. But um, I don't know. It's just, like, it's interesting because, 
you know, certain things might be big in certain places, and it's like we know it through the Internet, but then your average consumer, wherever you are, is like, huh, what's that? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, it's almost like it's kind of weird because sometimes, you know, in your escapism, I guess, you know, sometimes you can go far to where you're not necessarily grounded to what is going on around you at the time sometimes. At least I feel like that sometimes. Um, I, I mean, yeah, and that, I guess that can be an issue, but um, I mean, you think about it, a lot of these artists that, you know, that are out or who we, are, or who do, or who we do listen to, they're the same way. You know, Lil Wayne pretty much, he, he said it in the Carter documentary, he said he don't listen to no one but himself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, although I'm pretty, that was, uh, I'm sure that was kind of like a loaded, a loaded sentence because, I mean, you know, he raps on, you know, he raps on different beats and he has to know these types of songs that he's rapping on because, you know, he, because, you know, he, he, he kind of goes along with the cadence and, you know, even does like a, a rendition of like, of like the hook to that particular song for his mixtape or whatever like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I guess throughout the, the documentary, though, he is really, he's just listening to the things that he's recording, though, for real. Yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting because um, I was listening to uh, Joe Budden's podcast um, the other How day. How is it? Uh, you said what? How is it? Um, I, mean, I mean, I've only listened to, like, part of the first episode and then this last episode that I listened to. Um, I like the last episode that I um, listened to. I actually couldn't get through the first one. <laughs> but um, the last one was pretty good. And he was talking about... Um, he was talking about JD... Um, JD... Jay-Z's um, concert uh, that he did with Title, the uh, B-Size concert. And Jay-Z did his, his version of uh, Joe Budden's Pump It Up where he was kind of dissing Joe, and Joe was talking about how, basically how Jay-Z is, and he was like, you know, these people who are at the top, or whatever, they're always looking and watching, and they know what's going on, you know, they're connected, and it's kind of like their job too, especially like Jay-Z, and then, um, I don't know if you know, but Cannabis just dropped another album. And um, I was skimming through it um, a little while earlier today, and in the beginning of one of his songs, he has a skit um, where Jay-Z was being interviewed by Howard Stern, and then some guy calls up and asks him about uh, cannabis or something like that, something about, you know, artists getting exposure, like somebody like Cannabis, for instance, and Jay-Z says something about most deaths, Tyler Kweli, and at the end he says something about um, and cannabis, and, you know, yeah, I respect him. So it's like, you know... The people who are the ones who are the most saturated, I feel like, are are the ones who are most paying attention to the music that isn't saturated. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, like, even in, in your, you know, um, the, the stories that you have, you know, when you've been um, with, you know, with, with various producers and artists and how you would tell me, like, their conversations would be nothing about, you know, under there'll be nothing more than just underground rappers. Yeah. Um, These are some of the most commercial people that you could imagine. Talking about MF Doom. Yeah, I was about to say yeah, MF Doom, and um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, just thinking about it, but 
I, I think cannabis is the least. He's a bit different. I mean, he was, you know, he cannabis was like the like the first, uh, like Papoose in a, in a sense. You know, like everyone had to know about him because he was just a force that was coming to rip people's heads off on every radio show he went to. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was that dude that you had to watch out for. And um, I don't know. I guess it's. I guess it's like people who who aren't in the uh I'm not even gonna say the hip hop culture, I'll say people who aren't in the rap culture, you know, they may not realize that, you know, when it comes to rap, um, certain things don't necessarily matter. Like like your status on a certain level when it comes to just rapping it doesn't necessarily, you know, matter like that, you know, like, you know, somebody who's a rapper like a Jay-Z or somebody, he's concerned about what some people are thinking about his bars, you know, mm-hmm. or like, um, even like, I guess an Eminem, I guess he's like kind of different, but still the same, because he's the biggest commercial rapper of all time, but, you know, he's concerned about them bars, and he's, working with artists like a Slaughterhouse or a Yellow Wolf, people with bars and stuff like that, you know. Diddy, you know, Diddy has an army of dudes who who rap, and he's paying attention to who, who can really rap out here. And then you see, like, all of these big-name people scouting out at the, at, you know, at, um, I'm at the hip-hop battles and stuff like that. So Yeah. And shit, I mean that whole the whole thing with Diddy and you know Jay Z and um and Jay Electronica. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, how Diddy say he felt betrayed. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, it's this whole thing, and it even became a meme. You know, hurts when breathe, and mm. you know you got this whole thing about this rapper named Jay Electronica, and. Uh, you know, I can ask everybody in the office I work in right now, have you ever heard of Jay Electronica? And you might have somebody say, oh, yeah, I heard the name, but they can't name three Jay Electronica songs. Yeah, that's true. I remember, um, I were, that's the thing, like, you can, I, I, I clearly remember when I heard Exhibit C. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I was like, because I'm not sure, because I'm not sure, I, I think I'm, I may have heard it, like, before you did, but I think at the time, I was just, like, in the house, and I wasn't doing anything, but being on hit the blogs and listening to shit, and... If I remember correctly, you heard the one that Just Blaze played on the radio that time. Well, yeah, 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 because the, uh, yeah, because the, uh, the CDQ didn't come out yet. Yeah, yeah, and I came through with the CDQ. Yeah, yeah, because that, the shit on the radio was horrible. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, man, and then, like, I think two, three three months later, you know, like, I was still bumping it, and I was just kind of, like, you know, sad that people just didn't know that, you know, like, this fucking song exists, and I was walking to, like, my apartment, you know, on the Eastern Shore when I was still in, um, in undergrad, and this dude just pulls up at nighttime and, like, just escalate, and he just bumping the Exhibit C, and I looked over at him. I just and I just looked at him though. But I guess I gave him a look like nigga. You know what that is? 
And then I, I didn't say anything to him. He was like, yeah, nigga, I know what, I know what time it is. <laughs> yeah, you be see, nigga. And so, <laughs> and I said, my man, and I was about to walk off. <laughs> that's like, that's like when I, um, that's like when I'm out somewhere and I see somebody with a Wu-Tang shirt on. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, you give them that nod and they give you that knowing nod and it's like, you know, you're a part of the club, like, you know what's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw some, I saw, actually, I saw a black dude with a Wu-Tang shirt on some days ago. Mm. Yeah, that was, that was pretty special. I've never seen a black person with a Wu-Tang shirt on, shirt on outside of like a, a concert DVD that Wu-Tang had. <laughs> I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple, and then I had the homeboy. He used to wear the, uh, you know, he, uh, he had the Wu Tang earrings. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my brother with the famous Wu Tang medallion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he traded in for the five percent sign. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> piece of gods. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind. Of, it's crazy to think that people at I want. I, w- I would love to know if RZA had like anything to do with the making of Wu Tang jewelry. I doubt it, cause you remember back, back in the um, like the mid, early to mid two thousands, and you would go to the mall, and they had like Dipset chains, and, and, and like they had uh, G Unit chains. And yeah. Even I had a microphone, like I had a source mic around my neck. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, the source mic is different though. I mean, but like, you know, these different logos. I mean, I think that if, if I see someone walking around with a source mic, on, I would respect that. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like I always would feel weird about wearing, um, you know clothing that came from another rapper I guess now it's different like I could rock like some Wu-Tang shit but like mm-hmm. back in the day it was kind of like uh rock aware uh Sean John uh I can't really do it I mean I, yeah, I feel you but I mean I don't know and that, that's the thing I was rocking Wu-Tang shit when Wu-Tang was out of style and they weren't they weren't considered who they are now they were considered as a, they, were, they were seen as a washed up group pretty much yeah, <laughs> and it's crazy now because like it's you know you know you know it's like it's cool to wear it. I mean they're selling the shit in Target now. Yeah, and uh, and it's all Wu Tang does that. There's nothing like you know usually if you see like an ACDC shirt or some type of rock band, it's usually connected through Rock Nation some way or like the who 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 like who where's Rock Nation under like what's Live. the uh, like yeah Live, yeah my bad Live Nation. Um, and so I think the ACDC, sh- no, I think the Pink Floyd shirt, I, I have two Pink Floyd shirts. And I think one of them is through Live Nation in some type of weird way. But a lot of times you look at, like, some of these things, um, the rock ones, they have Live Nation attached to them at the bottom. But then you go to the Wu-Tang shirt, because I, I did some studying in Target. Yes, I do look at music, different shirts for, for different bands and rap groups to see what the fuck they, who owns them. And, uh... If you just go at the very bottom, it just says Wu Tang 2011. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of kind of dope. Yeah, I mean they got their brand, and I guess you know at least RZA's probably making some money off of that RZA and Power. 
Yeah, I'm about to say because um, I think who was it? Was it Method Man or whoever? And they they came out and they were talking about um, power and how. And they, it was one one of the Wu Tang members. They were complaining about how they don't get their cut from Wu Wear, and this was like years ago because you know because they, they've always had Wu Wear Europe. I don't know. I mean, uh, it must be it must be hard to uh, to. Um, well, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, I'm not a financial guru or anything like that. But it seems to me like you know delegating the payments and everything, and then you know how everything is kind of based off of the status of the group, and you know each um, um, individual group member, and you know how much they contributed to that brand. I wonder how they break that shit down. Well, yeah, that's that's true. Like, as if you, I remember the uh, when uh, Fifty Cent on that Hot ninety seven interview. That that's a classic interview. Yeah, it and was. He, and he thought, and he he finally, after all these years, explained fully the whole thing about G Unit and how he said that he he came to the meeting and he was the only person that had G Unit stuff on, and they were getting paid to wear it. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of dope. I mean, I don't. I mean, yeah, but. Because, like, the thing is, I think if you go into the Wu-Tang Manual, or it was something that I read, and it talk about the way Wu-Tang is, like, broken down, and so pretty much everyone is supposed to get a cut who is a part of Wu-Tang from everything that Wu-Tang does. Because I think that was, like, I think that's always been, like, the holdouts for, like, the past two albums, like, with the eight diagrams and this other one, that if someone, if one person, like, really isn't into it, then it's going to be an issue when it comes to, like, money and, you know, like, like assigning stuff and, and everything like that. Yeah. Um, that's, a, um, that's an interesting thing, because I remember it being an issue. Um, I remember Ghostface said something about how they he was mad because Capadonna wasn't made an official Wu-Tang member and how that kind of fucks up his money. Well, that fucks up Ghostface's money or Capadonna's money? Uh, Capadonna's money. I mean, like well... Kind of doing them dirty, you know, by doing that. See, we, all right, well, me and you, we've had we've had many conversations before this podcast about Capadonna and when he was made a Wu-Tang member. And... Okay, 36 Chambers, he wasn't on. He wasn't on Wu-Tang forever, but he has been a mainstay on uh, Raekwon. No, 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 he was on Wu Tang Forever. Oh, that's right. He, oh, that's right. He was on Triumph. Yeah, the big, the big joint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the big joint, and which was really random. But just the thing about Capadonna, if it wasn't for him being a mainstay on Raekwon and Ghostface's albums, I don't think he would have been a member because you can look at Street Life. Street Life had about three, two or three features on Wu Tang Forever, and you still you, you don't hear about him at all. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty much just on Method Man albums besides that. Yeah, and Method, and as we know, Method Man doesn't come out with um, any a lot of albums, but interesting, interestingly enough, did you uh, hear the new Method Man song? You know what's crazy is <laughs> I just burned it to a CD to ride to the store, uh-huh. and I burned it with a bunch of other new songs, and i just been playing that new J-Rock shit back-to-back. Back. But I did listen to it, like, briefly, and I wasn't too happy with it. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't either. But um, it, it was it was better than than that. Uh, to Cal Zero. <laughs> I'm oh, to the point that. 
Yeah, I'm to the point now that whatever he comes out with, I just kind of compare it to to Cal Zero and call it a day. But I mean that that um that other album that he had, Method Man 420 or whatever, or 421 the day after that album was was pretty good. Yeah, you keep you keep saying that, but I don't, I haven't. I, I think I listened to like the half the album and it was it was okay, but. I mean, once again, I mean, it goes to show that when when RZA is involved in a project, it comes together a certain type of way. Yeah, that Com- is true. I mean, although I mean, now someone can 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 argue that um, when it came to uh, Ghostface's, uh, the the first um, joint came out with with, the, with Adrian Young, Seven Ways to Die, whatever oh, yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, RZA was uh, um, executive producer, and I mean, actually, I guess if you think about it, everything flowed together, but Ghostface's lyrics just weren't there. I mean, everybody loved it, except me and you. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, it did, get good re- it did get good reviews, but sometimes I think that, I think a lot of times when it comes to, like, albums and how they're perceived, a lot of it has to has to do with how many more albums you come out with after that. Because if they only have this one album to to like really base their criticism on, then they'll they'll just keep focusing on that one album. But then let's say if you have two more albums you come out with, then they'll I think like sometimes you know like the uh, criticism or I guess critical acclaim over time it'll kind of just like level out and then it'll just be like spread throughout the like the three albums that that one artist comes out with within like a three year span or something like that. Yeah, especially if they're thematically connected in some type of way. Yeah, and I think, and I think it seems like Ghostface is trying to do that, but um, if that's the case, he kind of lost me on the second one because apparently on seven ways to, on seven ways to die, he's a he's a ghost. But he doesn't seem like a ghost on the second one, unless you know maybe he went back in the time. I mean, like not thematically in terms of that, but thematically in terms of you know he's doing these albums with these bands. And you know the albums are all kind of like like basically a similar type of album that he's doing like back to back to back. Mm. Yeah. And I must say, I mean, I think um, outside of what Elza and maybe a a handful, he may be like the one like the earlier. I guess outside of the Roots, but I mean, I guess out the, the Roots is a whole different story though, but. I guess outside of like a rapper who really depended on samples, he's probably one of the earlier ones to really hop on um, using a band by albums like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I was going to say Jay-Z, but that's pretty much for performances. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like a like an album all the way through, performance all the way through. Yeah. I always... um. You remember Gym Class Heroes? Uh, yeah. Like, especially that first album that was kind of underground, they always reminded me of, like, a more pop version of The Roots, because, like, what's his name? Travis, he used to be rapping on them joints. You know, the, the, the sad thing is I want to call him Travis Porter, but I know it's not, it's not his name. No, nah, his name is uh Travis McCoy. Yeah, I remember it came out... I think like I think like that whole thing had like the same the same thing that happened with I guess kind of like um, Lincoln Park 
but they they remain successful, I guess, in a way. Because I think that Travis McCoy, I don't think his album's really successful, but when, uh, what's the guy from Lincoln Park, he, he stepped out and he did his rap album. Oh, uh, Mike Shinoda. Yeah, and it was a pretty, I think it went gold, I mean, but that's pretty good for him, I guess. I mean, that album was pretty good. Then he had the mixtape with Green Lantern. That was pretty good, too. And um, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, and uh, Lincoln Park. And yeah, he had the Jordan Black Thought on there. And um, Lincoln Park, they did those remix albums. I know they did the reanimation where they redid their first album with pretty much like underground-type rappers. Like, I remember Feral Marsh was on one of them joints. Um, and they kind of like remixed each song and put a rap in. Uh, Charlie Tuna from... Um, from uh what's them guys' names? Uh Jurassic Five is on there. Mm. So I mean um and then they did do that song Executioner, so you know, Lincoln Park has always been kinda hip hop hip hoppy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, they were the end of that rap rock. 90s type of thing going on with like Limp Biscuit and all that but I guess they were more uh, I guess they were seen as having more um, artistic integrity mm, I mean uh, it's interesting oh go ahead oh no you go ahead um it's interesting because like in the 90s you had like like a rap rock thing going on with uh with Limp Biscuit and they had like you know Method Man in that in that video Years years back, and then um, you know, I guess system system of a down, of course. I mean, it was a raging raging machine, and some other ones, and then that dies down. And then you have this don't uh, corn uh, uh, corn with ice cube. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Corn and ice cube. When uh, and ice then, cube said the famous line, or at least famous to me, where he said, "Corn stands for keep on running, niggas." <laughs> Is that the one with the music video with the bullet that's, like, flying all throughout the video? I think so. Okay. Um, And then, you know, then, like, in the late 90s, 99, you get this turn when you just have these boy bands. So NSYNC, 98 Degrees, and the Backstreet Boys, and Aaron Carter and shit. Oh, man. And then, within, and then that was, like, a really short period of time, and then you get, you get Linkin Park. But then it was it was still based on the same formula as the boy groups though. But it, well, they kind of, well, you huh? know the same person who put together NSYNC put together Linkin Park. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> and then so they just they took that same formula, but they, they put it kind of back into I guess like a a real band type of perspective with Linkin Park. Then you have you know Flowbots who were kind of hip hop to me at least in yeah. a way. I mean, even I mean, even you know, in the, the other band you just said, I can't. Uh, Gym Class Heroes, and even um, I think Good Charlotte to a certain extent, because um, Good Charlotte they had like this, this remix album. You, you remember the album, right? I kinda. Uh, I was I was never. I, I can't I can't think of a Good Charlotte song right now, and they're the ones from Maryland, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a well, shame. I can't think of anything. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I really can't either. I, I think, um, didn't they do, no, Jim Crest Heroes did the uh, the girlfriend song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, actually, I can't, well, I can't think of one either, but. But you know, Good Charlotte, they have a new song with Waka Flocka. 
Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I was gonna listen to it, but I, then I didn't feel like it. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Um, but I mean, but I guess you are right about because I think we talked about Waka Flocka and how he's really branched out into EDM and he's 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 chilling. Yeah, I mean, he's doing his thing. Like he's, um, I mean, he has an EDM thing going on. Then every once in a while, he'll drop his hood mixtape, and then he did that one mixtape called Waka Flocka Can't Rap or something like that. Where um, he's rapping over like '90s beats and actually rapping. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, I mean, you know, Waka Flocka, he's. I mean, can we consider him kind of a New York rapper? Mm. Uh, I would say no. Because if you, because the thing is, because if you consider him a New York rapper, you had to consider ASAP Rocky a Southern rapper, which I don't consider him to be one. Well, I mean, I think it's different because I mean, you heard Waka Flocka's mother talk, right? Yes. I mean, she's straight New York, so it's kind of like even though he he grew up mostly, you know, in Atlanta and everything like that. His mother is straight New York, and I'm sure he went back and forth to Queens a little bit. And, you know, whenever he's rapping with, you know, I mean, he does shout out Queens and stuff sometimes. You know, it's kind of like how Clips are kind of like New York rappers. And you know, you know, Flocka, Flocka has like a, you know, when he wants to, he can he can actually rap. And I guess that's being real stereotypical about Southern rappers, uh, so I apologize to anybody who's listening. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Personally, I don't really see what you see in Waka Flocka when it comes to his lyrics. I mean, personally, lyrically, I don't really, I don't really like him. But he just has like a lot of energy. Like he reminds me of Lil John to a certain extent. But I will admit that he doesn't have like a straight Southern type of energy. Like I think like the way he kind of like, you know, approaches certain beats is kind of New York. Now, if someone asked me to explain that, I won't be able to explain it to you. But it's just like a certain type of feeling. You know, like, um, this one, what's that, that one song he had? Um, this is like after, um, um, Hard in the Paint. And it was like another song, and he's like, um, Watch My Power was Spread. Watch My Power oh, was yeah, Spread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you must have heard that song from me, because I used to play the mess out that song. <laughs> I mean, well, no, but I mean, well, I also had people on Eastern Shore who played played oh, right. it a lot yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But the thing was, though, like it was something about that song because, like, even like something so simple as saying "Watch my power spread," it was a really New York thing to say. I mean, well, you know, to me, I mean, I mean that that's some blood shit. Okay. That whole watch my power spread. I think that's some type of like blood terminology. I don't know if it's like New York blood terminology or something like that, but I think that's that's like some gangology shit. But it is like that's some shit that you don't hear people saying in the South. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like yeah, if you're in the South, they would say something totally different compared to like well, I don't. They would say something. Watch my. Watch, I don't know, they, they would, I mean, if they're saying, like, money, like, like generalizing it, they would, I think a Southern rapper, they would maybe say money, or watch my watch my trap, or, you know, something like that, watch my trap spread, something like that. 
Yeah. But not exactly. But I'm not. Tr- I'm not saying that they just mean that. I'm just trying to say that for the listeners. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say that they will use another word for power. Yeah, I mean because like and because you I think too. Oh, go ahead. Oh, because I think because I think New York rappers they have a certain cockiness, so they just come out and say power or or they're the best, some shit like that, compared to a southern rapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you gotta think too, like Waka was in a group with two New York rappers. What's the the murder team that we're talking about? Oh, I, I vaguely remember the yeah with uh, Rod Diggs and uh, and uh, Uncle Murder. Are they, are, do they still do anything together or no? Remember, uh, Rod Diggs, uh, we were talking about him because they used his lyrics to, um, he's the guy, he got like 12 life sentences plus like 105 years. Mm. So, no, oh, yeah, so, so, no, they don't do anything together. <laughs> hey, well, man, technology, hey, look, man, Max B just came out with a freestyle last week, so, <laughs> it, it, it could be done. Matter of fact, for the website, I was going to do a post on the best uh, jail freestyles. <laughs> mm, that's a good idea. I mean, but how how many are there, though? I mean, there's a couple from Gucci. You got Max B. You got the one from Prodigy you were talking about. Um, and I guess, you know, you got to dig deep, but there must be some more. Um, Tony Yeo. Oh, that one from Tony Yeo. <coughs> mm, excuse me. Mm. Uh, that was on one of those um, Invasion mixtapes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember. I vaguely remember it. I think that might. Oh, was that the first one? <laughs> I don't, when was the first Shady Invasion? That was a long time ago. Man, that was a long time ago. I was in middle school. Yeah, I was in high school, man. Um, Shady Invasion mixtape. Let's see. Because at one point I made it my mission to try to get all of the Green Lantern mixtapes, but... Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. (laughs) It's so hard to do. Um, According to Wikipedia... The first invasion was 2002, and the second one was 2003. God damn, man! You know what though? I'm, I'm, you you could probably get all of, all of this stuff now though. Green Lantern's mixtapes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm just looking um, through these joints like, damn, like you remember Alive on Arrival? You know, this is what I'm about to say because like, um, because I, I, last time I checked, it was like some years ago, but Alive on Arrival three, it was the third one. What was the first one? I thought he just had one, and then he had the beats to it that he made. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah maybe that's, that's what I'm thinking about. But yeah, man. Like, um, last time I checked, that was on Dad Piff like a long, long time ago. But I didn't download it though. Yeah, because the only thing about the only thing about Dad Piff is sometimes you know they um sometimes they. Like 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 if there's a copyright issues like like some of the songs won't be on there, and that shit. Yeah, well, this is me the fuck off. Well, I will say that um, I'm pretty sh- I'm like 99 percent sure that um the per- cause I, I listened to the Purple Haze mixtape, mm-hmm. and um I think that was I think it was pretty accurate. 
think I think that, I think I think that was the exact mixtape I listened to. Yeah, um, but I'm not entirely sure though. I was never entirely sure if that was an official mixtape, but it it seems like it was though. I'm just looking. I'm looking through the track list of uh, Alive on Arrival right now. Goodness gracious! Like they had that joint, that shotgun joint with with Fat Joe. And then they had that joint, the License to Kill remix with Pat Poulsen and Mob Deep. Yeah, that was, uh, you know what, though? But, like, that remix, it, it was I don't, it was cool, but it still wasn't as good as the first one, though. Uh, I, I don't know. They kind of even to me. Like, I wish there was some way to mix the two together some type of way. <laughs> like, I used to always play them back-to-back. Well, you know what? I was I was gonna say maybe there's like a, maybe there's a way to mix it, but for not from what I can recall from like the beat, the beat is kind of it's kind of like an awkward beat though. Oh man, damn yo! Like this was 2002, and you know we were just talking about like chinks and stack bundles and all that. Yeah. And, and now I just remember this song number fourteen. It was um it was a song called New York with J Mills, Stack Bundles, Corey Guns, and Mano. Mm. And it's yeah, like, so, damn, damn, like, you know, what happened to all these people? Like, it's crazy that Mano's the most successful one out of that whole list right now. But it, it, but it's funny though because you had to you had to tell me like a, a while ago that Mano was was a, a successful rapper. Well, as far as <laughs> commercially, because I had no idea he had a, he had a platinum single yeah, or platinum, platinum singles. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, that's I mean, how the name was big. Well, maybe maybe not in Baltimore because you know, like, and Ethan Shore, no one, no one was playing something. No one will play something like that. But oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hated the song personally, but <laughs> everybody had those high hater um, uh, uh, shirts on, and they had his hand on it, the hand of God that he used to smack niggas with. <laughs> uh, um. You know what, like, like based on like that song, like, and who it featured. Um, going back to what two episodes ago, you we were talking about um, the new New York. You were trying to like pinpoint where it really started. Mm-hmm. And so I guess you know, I guess that was an example of the new New York because these people, um, they're still around. And the hand of God, I'm, I'm, I wonder if he was influenced by uh, Jim Jones, the Koofy Smacker. This was before. Actually, I'm not sure because. You know, Jim Jones, I mean, well, I'm not going to say that because I just watched this interview with Jim Jones was talking about, like, all these different crazy-ass fights he was in. But Mano, didn't he, I think he he knocked out Lil C's. I think he, he punched Tragedy Gaddafi. And it was, like, somebody else who he slapped, maybe, like, Youngberg or somebody like that. Oh, wait, what, Mano, he punched Tragedy Gaddafi. Yeah, I think he's known for that. How did he do that? Let me see. Mano Tragedy Beef It's one of the first things that pops up on Google. Um, Mano discusses his growth and knocking out tragedy. <laughs> that was in 2013. And then there's an um, interview with Basta with Tragedy Gaddafi discussing Mano. <laughs> and then Global Grind has a brief history of Mano beating up rappers and bystanders. 
Let's see this right here. Uh, let's see what he has right here. Oh, that's right. He was, um, I think he was going to punch uh, Trinidad James. For what? Uh, I remember when um, Trinidad, he said something about New York at a show oh, yeah. in New York, and that kind of ended him in terms of, um, you know, after that, he, he got dropped from Def Jam. <laughs> you know what, though? I was never, like, just the thing, like, people, they, they would, like, you know, like, there's been those those certain rappers that people had, like, really been getting on for, like, destroying the culture. Like Iggy Azalea and, and like other people, like Soldier Boy when he first came out. Yeah. And Trinidad James, he was kind of one of those people, but I was never mad at him. Like after um, I listened to his album, I wasn't mad at it at all. First one. He came up with he came up with another one. He came out like two more. Like like after he got dropped, he started dropping all this music, and apparently he has this one that people are saying is one of the best projects of the year. I think it's called Ten Piece Mile. Okay. And uh well, no. <laughs> apparently it's real good. Oh no, I had no idea, but um but no, I listened to his first album because of course you know you know, my mother had to have it. And um it was a good album. I mean it had like a mixture of, you know, trapish EDM type of music, but it was still kinda of spaced out and his songs were coherent, you could hear what he's saying and I mean if you accept it for what it is then you just know that it's not going to be anything that you know anything lyrical. Yeah, I mean it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but it's just the presentation of that first song that kind of did it for him. You know, got him like you know that first song was like his gift and his curse because now he's just. I mean, like even now they bring it up with that nigga nigga nigga. <laughs> I mean, but see, but that's the. I don't know. I mean, but there have been so many other like this because this this is what I don't understand about why people get on Iggy Azalea so much. There have been so many other songs like I think "All Go Everything" is way, 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 way better than um than uh than the Soldier Boy song. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that shit was just terrible. Like it was nothing but Soldier songs. Uh, the, the first one he's known for. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, the first Soldier Boy song. I don't know, like, I hate it, or, you know, I know, at the time I hated it, but it's kind of weird because sometimes a song isn't just a song, you know? Like, yeah, what would yeah. that song be without the dance? I mean, that's very true, but didn't, doesn't all gold everything have a, have a dance to it, too? Nah. Homeless, but it doesn't have a dance, but it has sayings to it, though. Yeah. And 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 Soldier yeah. Boy's song, it didn't really. I mean, Superman and whole that, that was, I guess, that was the same for that song. But I think the other, I mean, Trinidad, Trinidad song had to be at least like two other two sayings for it. Nigga, 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 pop the molly, I'm sweating. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, gold all of my watch. I mean, well, I could expect. I mean, I, I kind of respected the song, and I respect. I mean, because then, because the album was something totally different, but it was still within the same realm in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it was cool. Um, 
I don't know. It's like, I guess the difference with Iggy is like, I think people don't like when you don't sound on the song how you sound in real life, especially when you don't look like you're of the culture. I mean, I mean, so I'm assuming she doesn't sound black. Um, outside of her her songs, she sounds Australian. It's not that she doesn't sound black; she sounds Australian. Uh, I mean, okay, so all right, so for example, why aren't why didn't people get on Snoop Dogg for turning Rastafarian when he did? Why didn't people get on Eddie Murphy for for doing that surprisingly good reggae song? They did. They did? Yeah, but the thing is, and I think this goes to what we're talking about off air about um, certain shit. Like, when you look at Trinidad James, and, you know, Trinidad James is different than Iggy because, you know, Iggy, you can chart her grind and her progress. But Trinidad James is a nigga who just learn how to rap and put so and it happened to pop off but that's like, how a lot of these things are <laughs> nowadays like, yeah but like Snoop Dogg Snoop Dogg made doggy uh, uh, doggy style yeah and Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy <laughs> so you know these are two icons and it's like no matter what they do no matter what transsexual you find them with in the back of a cab, <laughs> you know, that's still Eddie Murphy. That's what, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, let, um, let, uh, somebody, let me think of somebody, let, let, uh, let Bobby Schmurder all of a sudden, when he comes out of jail, if he ever comes out of jail, when he comes out of jail, let Bobby Schmurder's color start changing like Michael Jackson. Mm. Like, you don't have a resume for that shit. That's very true. Like, and that's the thing, like, like you know, you gotta build up clout and respect. I mean, Snoop Dogg has done so many you know he's he, he's done you know so many questionable things or not even questionable but just things that 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 other people just can't do because he's Snoop Dogg and Snoop yeah. Dogg took a lot of heat for what he did you remember um who was it uh fucking was it the Whalers? was it Bunny Whaler uh who came at Snoop and then Sizzler did a diss song against Snoop yeah, but then didn't didn't like he didn't he like end up making up with Bunny Whaler at the same time like after like Bunny Whaler came out against him. I believe he did, but and it's probably because he's Snoop Dogg. <laughs> but where's Snoop Lion at now? You know Snoop Lion has a Twitter account as well as Snoop Dogg. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I was curious the other day and I looked it up. You, you know what's funny though? Like I, I had a dream that I met Diplo the other day. <laughs> I, I mean, he seemed like a nice person, but yeah, <laughs> it's kind of random. I mean, but I mean, but I, I mean, that that Eddie Murphy song, though, like 
and maybe it's because like I went into listening to the song assuming that it was going to be really bad. But honestly, though, Eddie Murphy, I've listened. I think he's had like three albums. Mm-hmm. I listened to the first one. I had Party All the Time on it. I think the second one, if there is a second one. And I like, well, I know I like the first one, but I remember listening to some other stuff that he's done over the years and I liked. Um, his first album, for real, it's a, it's a pretty, I mean, if you, but you got, I guess you got accepted for it, for what it is, though. It came out in like, what, 1984, I think, or 85. And it's, it's, it's an 80s album. It sounds like, you know, Prince with the Minneapolis sound and everything like that. And he can sing and he's, he sounds good on over top of these types of beats. And the fuck that I mean that reggae song was good. I mean even like you know his, his voice, his delivery. He did the reggae I'm, song back in the day too, though, didn't he? Oh, I mean I didn't know you did one. I think he did. Oh, so I this think, is. I think the um. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say. So like, would you? So what do you think? Do you think Jamie Foxx would be good o- over a reggae cut? Oh, man. See, I was just thinking about comparing uh, Eddie Murphy and Jamie Foxx because of that. Yo, Jamie Foxx, you know, I've said it before, I think he's one of the most talented people in our lifetime. Yeah, he is. So, I I think he could do it. I think you get him and Rihanna together, you know, Rihanna, show him the way, and they'll make a, a worldwide international hit. Maybe. I don't know about Rihanna. I don't. I don't know about Rihanna so much because the thing about Rihanna is that I'm not entirely sure if she could be if she could really sell herself as a reggae artist because the thing is, the people who who listen to her now, they don't. They probably don't even know that that first album exists. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, when you talk to people from the um, islands or whatever, sometimes they'd be like. Yeah, you know, Rihanna's cool, but I really like when she does that island shit. And so, you know, maybe not, I don't know, I guess, you know, on a mainstream level, um, I don't know, I mean, I think she could sell it on a mainstream level because if you notice the times when she does it, she doesn't just come out there like, yo, this is some island shit. Like, it just comes out like a regular song. Like, what? Well, uh, what was that song, Man Down, I think it was, that she did? It was just, like, basically like a reggae type of record? Um, I think, I mean, I think so, but it it was still kind of Bob Marley-ish. Yeah, and, but, and like, but, like, you know, it, it wasn't sold as that. It was just sold as, like, a regular record, and it just had a reggae type of feel to it. And I think as long as you don't, as long as you don't play up what it really is, the people who know what it really is are gonna um are gonna gravitate towards it. Mm. Like um you know Nico and Vins? I've heard the name. Um, what's the song that they do? Um they do this song Nico and Vins. They do this song that is straight um and it's crazy because they are from Norway, but they got this record, that big song that they did, um, Am I Wrong? Remember that song? Yeah, like, vaguely. 
that's a um, like 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 it's like a big pop record, but that song is like straight Haitian music. Hmm. Like it's straight. Uh, what's the name of it? Is it Zook? Um. I'm trying to think of the name of the type of music that it is, because um, Wyclef has a song. Um, I don't know if I ever sent you that song, Bag Enough. No, I, I remember you telling me about it. Yeah, Was that on his last mixtape? I don't think it is. I think it's just a random song he did. Um, I think it's called Compa, Compa Music, K-O-M-P-A. And it's like this African-Haitian type of stuff that's going on. And, like, when you listen to that song, if it wasn't a number one hit, it would just be a straight island record. Or a straight, like, African, you know, how we were talking about. Um, I guess, you know, it kind of goes into our conversation about the African and Caribbean music popping off. Um, you know, you have to do it in a way to where people don't know what it is. I mean, and seeing, but see, I think when it comes to island music, or I mean, effort, black music, period, <laughs> the thing about it, the main thing is the bass. Mm. And, you know, here, bass just isn't something that people are really into like that. I mean, I mean, but I mean, it's starting to get that way because of EDM, but at the same time, it still isn't as relevant as it as it probably needs to be in order for these types of songs to cross over. Like, I mean, um... You got that song, Megan Trainer. Oh, well, I must admit that. Oh, about that bass. I mean, yeah. see, but the, you know, even like, all right, when, whenever I listen to Top 40 Radio, usually it's, usually with, it's with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there, there's been bass in, in these songs, but the bass still, all right, look, let, go or go to 92Q you hear nothing but bass you hear bass more you hear vocals and then go to like a top 40 station you'll hear more vocals than bass yeah I think that's the best way for me to put it yeah that's true yeah, yeah I can see that and um I have this um this, this uh this like this compilation of like Dennis Brown's greatest hits or whatever like that Mm-hmm. And you know his song of uh, his song "Money Money in My Pocket" is probably yeah. his biggest song. Um, I have t- I have the I have like the uh, the original version, mm-hmm. which is like a straight kind of acoustic reggae song, and then I have like you know the one that everyone knows that is is pretty much a song. But like the original version is more acoustic, but the bass is more the bass is still more like in your face compared to like the other one, because like for real like the bass and "Money in My Pocket." If you compare it to like I guess like your typical um, uh, reggae artist in Jamaica who really never made it big, who never really made it big like in the UK or something like that, the bass is still kind of lower compared to you know like a Leroy Smart or, so, or someone like that to me at least. And then you go into like into like the ninety the nineteen seventy two version of that song, mm-hmm. it's just nothing but guitar and bass and it's kind of grimy. And you really can't hear his voice as, as well as you can on on the uh, on the remade track. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How much of that do you think is mixing, and how much do you think? Because like, <laughs> you know, when you when you put something on top forty radio, it has to have that. I mean, I guess there's a top forty sound. I guess you would say. Hmm. And like, I was thinking about that too. You have to separate. 
you know, the lyrics from the vocals because people want to sing along to a record. And that's that's the main thing is to make something that people can sing along to. And, I mean, well, that's true. Um, I would say that maybe... Yeah, maybe in Dennis Brown's case, it was pro- maybe it was the mixing because like the original version, it doesn't sound all that well. But remember um, the uh, the Lee Scratch Perry documentary from the seventies, and it just goes to its process, and you know they, they go into like and they go into like how reggae is mixed anyway, or at least how 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 it was at first. Yeah, you only focus on the drums and the bass and not the vocals. And then, I mean, it makes sense too because even when you have like those weird um. I guess like that the uh, the the guitar slap on, on like a, on, on like a on some type of dub song whatever like that and how it like bounces and echoes back and forth all throughout the track and it's like re- it's like really loud and, and it overpowers the vocals. I guess it's that raw that raw thing which you know you have you have to be into the shit to like that shit I guess. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, you know, if you if the the thing about reggae is that the bass is really melodic compared to you know, the bass is really it's, it's fast moving. You know, it has like the boom, 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 boom compared to, I guess, top forty radio when it's like boom, 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 and you know, it really can't. It's not catchy compared to the vocals. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like in a reggae record, you know, the bass is really like it's really a focal point of it, and not an accent. Yeah. Like I feel like sometimes people just put the bass in the song so that it has a full frequency spectrum, but you're not about to like. I mean, you know, some of these reggae records, you know, it could be like a bass solo, <laughs> kinda, where. You know, the basis is actually an integral part to the record and all of that to where, you know, a lot of times in the reggae record, the melody is the bass and then the the actual instruments are like an accent to the bass. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, even like even the drums to a certain point, then you just have like. And then you just have like this man or woman just yelling sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but like, like, you know, when I went to like this last Baltimore Hip hop thing that I went to, and you know it was it was really people within you know I guess within younger people and listening to like the things that they were listening to, and maybe this was like the sound system. It had to be the sound system. We're talking about the paparazzi slash sonar, yeah. and they've always had a, a shitty sound system. But but I mean even like in certain other places where I mean but without with with, uh, with better sound systems. When you put on, you know, I guess for right now, your typical song from 92Q, your Young Thug song, the bass just overpowers everything. You can't, you can't hear the 808s. You can't hear the snares. You can't hear what he's saying. It's just the bass, and the bass, is, it doesn't even do anything. It just goes boom, 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 boom. That's all it does, and people dance to that shit. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess that's why I appreciate certain producers, like, um, like Hit Boy. Yeah. You really listen to his shit that's not a big hit, like a niggas in Paris or something like that, but like when you listen to some of that shit that's on the album with all the niggas that he signed and nobody listens to like yo, some of that shit that nobody listens to that he does is is really out of this world, the shit that he do, like the shit that he does with the bass. 
I'm like, damn, like, this shit has bass like the songs on the radio. And it's very catchy and everything like that. Why don't they play this? And, you know, I guess it's not simple enough. I mean, well, and I've heard about that album. I haven't listened to it, though. But um, even, like, you know, what he did for M.I.A.'s album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you can see, like, when you listen to some of the shit that he does for, you know, certain people, you can see how he dumbs himself down for the uh, majors or whatever. And I guess it's, you know, you know, maybe it has something to do with why he didn't renew his contract with uh, Good Music or whatever. But I don't know. It's it's, it, it's interesting to um, think about, you know, how how race um, is involved in it. You know, I guess you know, black people love that base. But um, I guess speaking about race and how race matters. Um, you know, Race Matters is a uh, is a book that I recently downloaded on Audible. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's by the uh, black scholar Cornell West. And on Audible, you actually have the actual author, Cornell West. He's reading his book, so you don't even have to read it. You can just be driving and you can just listen to this book. And if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash, I mean, I'm sorry, not audiblepodcast, audibletrial.com slash channel 10. You can get your free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial of the Audible service, which is great. So, y'all really need to go to audibletrial.com slash channel 10 and get your learn on so you can be involved in conversations such as these with myself and great musician scholars such as Singard, step your game up. What up? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, going back to um, to bass and the music. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you heard this new Meat Mill record. Uh, it's called Check. Uh, no, nah, I saw it as I was surfing the blogs, and I skipped over it. Um, you know, I really like it, but it's it's the same thing that you're talking about, where it's just like just the bass is going boom, 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 boom the whole time. Like, you know, the melody doesn't really change with it too much. It's it's the focal point of the song, but it doesn't really do anything musically, and it kind of reminds me of the last song they did, Monster. Um, which I like as well, but you know it's just real simple. But you know, I guess it's like you know when it comes to music, um, people don't want to have to think about it too much. They don't want to have to like use their brain that much. You know, if you're not really into it, so anything that's a little bit too complicated or you add that little extra thing in it that, you know, somebody might think is interesting or it makes you think about why he did it or, you know, whatever. Any little extra thing is going to turn somebody off. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's true. And, I mean, it was... You know, like being like that was my first time. I think being in that type of scene, 
where you had, you know, um, you know, I guess twenty, like you know, really young twenty-somethings and teen and, and teenagers in this one in this one spot, and listening to you know, listening to what they what they what they think is hot right now at that point, and everything. It was the same bass. I mean, just the same thing. The boom, and like it was amazing to me because they would wait for the bass to drop until they started dancing to it. Mind you, like, mind you, the song has been going on for, like, 45 minutes, like, 45 seconds. And, like, you know, like, Boosie, he already said his catchphrase. And they'll say it, but they won't, but then they have to wait for that bass to drop. They got to wait for those, that 808 snare to, so they can start dancing to it. I mean, you know what, and, you know, that's a conversation I've had a lot. Maybe it's, um... I think your brother used to talk about it all the time, like how every song has that that eight oh eight snare that goes do, and it's like it's that cue that automatically lets you know that something is about to happen, and it's like it's it's like you know you know if you really listen to it, you know that this shit is happening every time, but it's like. Every time it happens, I feel like niggas act surprised. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's, just, it's it's like in a horror movie. Like, you know when some shit is about to happen, but you're still scared when that shit happens. Yeah. Like, the cues are all set up. It's all that, like, the shit is a setup. Like, it's nothing, it's, it's nothing that's really out of the blue that's surprising. Like, but I guess that's what makes it, you know, accessible to people. Like, I think about, you know, Kendrick Lamar's King Kunta, and, like, in the middle of the song, you have this, you know, this, 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 you know, this random-ass gunshot, and then the song breaks, and then it drops back into some other shit. But it happens at, like, an off point where you're not necessarily expecting it, and it's an actual surprise at a certain point. Like, I mean, that's cues to let you know. It's not, like, completely offbeat. But there's no warning to it. It just goes boom, mm-hmm. and then well, we're not quite boom, but you know. And um, yeah. I don't know. I, I I guess that's what you know makes the difference between somebody. I don't know. I guess you know there's a formula, and then and then there's a way to go against the formula, and then there's a way to try to mix the two ways of doing shit together. I mean, well, I think that, um, you know, we talked uh, in a past episode about, you know, I guess kind of going against the formula, I mean, well, I guess melding, melding that formula together, although it was kind of a, a different time, you know, with 50 Cent and, you know, in the club and, and what G-Unit has pretty, has, what, they, what they've done for, um, for you know, during that run. But um, I think, you know, going back into, like, you know, these kind of big-sounding records, and if something just kind of sounds big, people will just, like, kind of latch on to it in a way, as long as it's catchy enough. I mean, you can look at Hard in the Paint, and, I mean, there's bass there, but, I mean, it's just like the the synths, it's just a big-sounding record. And uh, I think, like, even going to, like, Feral Munch, and his Simon Says, um, you know, it's... Although, of course, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's probably a top forty record, but 
I think the main thing was just the way it sounded. Everything about it sounded big, and I, I was thinking about, um, you know, what Farrell Marsh was talking about, um, I think, on a Combat Jack show and then even someone the Cypher. And I never thought about it, but how it was recorded it was recorded analog, so it was, record, it was recorded on ADAT tape. And I wonder if, like, you know, that that's, you know, the way it was recorded has something to do with, the like, the richness of the horns. I mean, even though that song, it's, it's, it's interesting because songs from that era that might not have a lot of bass in them, they still bang. Cause, yeah. Um, I guess that Feral Munch song is one, and another one is Woe from Black Rob. Mm, that's they true. had them kind of like horn type beats and it didn't really have a bass line, but for some reason when that shit hits, like you feel that shit in your chest. Mm hmm. So, um, yeah. it, you know, maybe it does have something to do with that. Mm hmm. All those, all those, um, all those saturated frequencies, you know, mixing together and everything like that. That's true. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, why didn't I'm not was that a sample? Uh, Black Rise Woe. I think so. Okay, about it. it had to be because I mean, you know, that wasn't. I mean, that, that just that, that. I mean, that song wasn't the sound of the day either. No, that song. I mean, that song. That song is just an anomaly still <laughs> to me. I mean, that came out, that was before um, 50 Cent, right? Um, I, guess, I mean, I guess kind of like around the same time. I mean, before 50 Cent's big rise, yeah. Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to, like, to figure out, like, if we could pinpoint, like, the earliest type of, uh, you know, I guess kind of general hip-hop song in a way. Um, I would have to say Rough Riders Anthem. Mm hmm Because Swiss Beats took that South shit that they had going on at the time that, you know, with the, I mean, I mean, even the type of shit that's going on now with the chants in the background. Mm hmm That's like that shit that them real underground Atlanta niggas were doing, like Baby D and all of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he really took that and then added it to some New York type shit. But then when you really listen to it, even on that Triton keyboard type of sound, it has some bass to it. Like when you hear it knocking the system, that joint goes boom. Even though the bass is like off key and doesn't sound really right when you really think about it. <laughs> well, I mean, you you remember like um, on the, uh, the, the last one Epstein and um, they kind of got deeper into that. Um, into what Cypress Sound was talking about when it came to Swiss Beats and his beats. Yeah, man, that shit was terrible. Yeah, and then like, um, because I, I didn't, I didn't exactly know that like some of like the things that he did, they were, um, there was simply nothing more than the, uh, than, than the, uh, the keyboards presets things. Yeah, there was a rumor that he got sued for that shit, or maybe they tried to sue him. Well, yeah. Well, Cypher said something about yeah that, that he he did get sued or something like that. But um, he had like supposedly Swiss Beats. He had someone else kind of like they kind of changed the sound up so he wouldn't get sued for it. Mm. 
And I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, we, we you know we were talking off air about um, using uh, her beat, you know, beat software to make beats and stuff like that. And you know, we see someone as successful as Swiss Beats is at this point in his career, and you know, he started off doing these same t- type of things that people look down upon when it comes to people using, you know, this serratos and free loops and reason and so on and so forth. Yeah, another person I always think about is Ninth Wonder, too. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he he was known for using free loops, but I guess at that time, people weren't used to hearing it like that. Even though I was doing that shit, but... <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's like, dang, that's Fruit Loops? That's not an NPC or something like that? And, you know, eventually, I guess he uh, moved on to other things, but... Um, I guess it's that... Um, I don't know, it's, you know, you know the technology and everything with the beat-making software, you know, I always say it's like a gift and a curse because, you know, with the access, you have the people who aren't really into music who can just kind of pick it up and just kind of do it and pop off in an instant and don't really have to grind or go through any dues or anything like that to, you know, get on. And, you know, but then at the same time, we use it and we... You know, like an old head, I'd be like, you know, back in the day, I had to save up for my MPC and all that. But, you know, we went through a struggle trying to actually get the software. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, the software could run on. Number two, getting it with no money and cracking it and trying to get that shit to work. Like, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, the things that we have done to... uh, you know, get shit popping and get shit to work with, the, you know, the a little bit that we had. But I think as things become easier and easier, a lot of people don't, uh, and, you know, cheaper and cheaper for people that go the legal route for getting the software, um, you know, which, of course, we're doing now. Um, uh, I think that, um, you know, you get people who haven't necessarily studied the music, you know, I guess done the knowledge to it. They just hear something and emulate it and are able to pop off off of it. And, you know, I'm happy for anybody that has any type of success, but at the same time, it's like, yo, like, you know, when you look at, I guess, you know, you know, like I guess you're going to make the same type of artists who aren't going to be able to, uh, you know, come out and do some shit like Snoop Dogg, just do a reggae album or something like that. Like these people aren't the same type of people. And I guess it's a new type of era, but you know, it's not the same type of work that you put in to necessarily gain that type of respect. Hmm. For a lot of people, I'm not gonna say everybody. Because, you know, if you get into free loops or reason or whatever it is that you use and you freak it like a master, you know, that's your instrument. I mean, yes, and that's what I'm saying. Because, you know, like certain people who, you know, who who I've dealt with and they kind of look down on free loops. You know, these same people who are talking about it, if you, you know, if you show it to them, they don't know how to use it. <laughs> 
and they'll say it looks pretty complicated. I remember when I first saw Fruity Loops, and it was really complicated to me. I mean, still certain parts are, you know, I'm learning something new on it every now and again as I go, and I'm still on, on you know, a rather older version of it, or just how to go about doing certain things in my way. Yeah, I mean, and the crazy thing is, you know, it, it offers, like, limitless, you know, possibilities, and at the same time with those possibilities, there's a certain type of skill that comes with that, that, you know, can be seen as the same type of skill that comes, you know, with playing an instrument. So. I mean, I mean, yeah, but see, I think that's the thing about these types of beats, like, because if you're, like, really deep into it, there are certain things that you learn from it that you can kind of apply to at least, well, maybe in Free Loop's case, um, a keyboard. Because, you know, you're, when you're dealing with the, the piano roll on Free Loops, you know, you, when you see a natural keyboard, you're probably thinking about the keyboard on Free Loops and you just kind of, you may kind of know your way around a keyboard or like know how to do certain things without really being, you know, trained in doing it, you know? Yeah, because you get used to, you know, what a chord looks like and what it's supposed to sound like and these types of things. And even if you're not technically trained in music, you know, you still have that that background in it. I mean, yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, we look at Hit Boy. You know, he, he uses free loops. Mm. Um, and look at, uh, uh, you know, Lex Luger, who has pretty much, he revamps, what trap music was, or is rather, off of Fruity Loops. And um, the guy who made, uh, like, the, the cloud music, um, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, is it talking about the dude from ASAP Rocky's first joint? Yeah. Is it called cloud music? I don't really know what you call it. Um, I just came across one of his beat tapes earlier, too. You talked uh, about Clams Casino. Casino. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if I, if I'm not mistaken, he uses reason. Um, but then even like, we can go like, we can go into like EDM where, you know, where for some reason people in EDM, they don't really get picked on like how rappers do. Um, go to Girl Talk. He does his albums on Cool Edit Pro. Mm. Not even Adobe Audition. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that I, that to this day just amazes, it just amazes me like how he can put all like you know these little snippets of songs. I, mean, I don't think I, could, I. I'm pretty sure I can't do it. The way he reconstructs songs is amazing, and it makes you want to look at his sessions and see how he did it. Yeah, actually, yeah, and I, I wonder how he would be about that. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. I still gotta listen to his project with Freeway. Oh shit, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, um, I listened to what his second project, the second was the third album, whatever it was, and I just remember when, uh, around the time, because I, I was still pretty early in the game when I decided to download it, although I knew who he was, but I just never really listened to his stuff, but, you know, it was kind of like J. Cole when Friday Night, Friday Night Lights came out. His, uh, his website got shut down. It was shut down. There was too many people coming to it. And he tours all he tours all over the world doing this type of stuff. I mean, maybe he uses Ableton. I, actually, I don't know what he does for live performances, but at same, but he he does like some crazy shit, like just physically. 
I think he like he performs naked or something. I, I think I heard, but um, but at the same time, this is all off of Cool Edit Pro. Mm. So I guess the uh, the moral of the story is you can do it too. Um, yeah, that's what uh, <laughs> that's what a Shia LaBeouf says. LaBeouf or LaBeouf. Yeah, yep. yep. Keep hope alive. Yeah. I guess. I guess we can end it right there. Keep hope alive. You can do it too. No matter what you do, keep keep on keeping on, and all of that good type of stuff. Um, I don't know, like you know, whatever your creative outlet is, you know, you have all these examples. We have the technology, and all you gotta do is just do it. Yeah. Although it can be hard sometimes. Yeah, and, um, you know, find your escape. You know, you're not stuck wherever you're at. You know, you can pick up a book. You can go to audibletrial.com slash channel 10 and go to another world. You can get free loops. You can listen to some music. You can make some music to get you out of your situation mentally. And physically. Mm-hmm. All right. Channel Ten Podcast dot com. Log on. I didn't even say go to Amazon links through our website and support. But yeah, do that. And we out. Peace. Peace. Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. Roll up, son. You gotta just do it, yo. Yeah, man. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different channel, son. Roll up, on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. Roll up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Roll up, yeah. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network. Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, this grown man. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace, catch more people.